This morning, I'm going to, we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus regarding our Heavenly Father, which for many may think, well, this is almost redundant. We always think about God, our Heavenly Father. But I want to, um, I, I guess, unfold how all of this came about and the role that it has played about God, our Heavenly Father, who is our Heavenly Father, that it unfolded uh, first and foremost from and through the teachings of Jesus Christ, which they did not uh, exist before he began to explain God and reveal God to the people that would listen. Recall uh, when we started this, uh, victories in Jesus. Uh, you know, with <clears throat> the song that I, I love, we all love, Vic- victory in Jesus, that is so true, but within that overarching victory that Jesus gives to us, there are many-fold smaller victories in our lives, and, and many of them are attached uniquely to his teachings. You know, that's one of the things that I think is fascinating when I read, uh, when I began reading, you know, years ago uh, about Jesus Christ when I became a Christian was the Lord actually was a teacher. He was, he would teach. I, I, I don't find that they were astounded or moved by his delivery, uh, nor were they drawn because of his uh, personality. The scriptures say that time and time again that they were astounded by his words or they were amazed at his doctrine, what he was revealing to them. And I found that to be true uh, because when we read or we, we, we go to what I call that primary source, the first source, and that's Jesus Christ. What did he say about things? It's like, it's like it begins to open up um, an understanding of anything that he is uh, talking about. And so I've, I've wanted to hit just some of the main topics or main headings of the Christian faith, but instead of... Googling it, I want to see what the Lord said, because he's the primary source. Now, what's interesting about this is, as I say, we are familiar, or for the most part we are, of God, our Heavenly Father. But Christianity is the unique religion, the, re- the unique practice of, of a religion that views God as a father. Before then, throughout the world, and we'll go through just, let me, bear with me to give a little history of of, uh, views of God, and then we see how Jesus did and what he said. You know, in the world, uh, to the Jew, the basic idea of God was that he was holy, different, someone to be feared, or something to be feared. 
They weren't for sure about everything, but they knew that and believed that God was Yahweh, Jehovah. He was, but that's as far as it went. Now, that view was, as we can read through the Old Testament, we know that. And we do have, we do have parts that tell us that God was personal with different ones, such as Moses or uh, such as Joseph or Abraham, uh, Noah, all right? But overall, it was this idea that God was out there and he was different, he was holy, and he was someone to be feared. And that is true. But it was even more radical and, and more almost, uh, I would say, unhelpful to the Greeks or to the ancients because their views of God were completely different. And, and remember that um, the Jews were a very small segment of the world, whereas the Greeks, the Romans, um, all of the, all of the um, you know, all of the earlier philosophers, they had their idea of God, but it was, it was a lot of the world. And so, for the most part, the world, or the known world at that time, uh, there were two that I, I'll use as, as an example. There were the Stoics and the Epicureans, all right? They were two main Greek thoughts during that time. But the Stoics believed that, that um, their idea of God was that he was removed, that God did exist, but he was removed, and that he is, didn't really have the ability or refused the ability to feel anything at all. And that's why, in their minds, prayer was non-essential because, in, in, in their way, or in their thoughts, if you could pray to God and influence Him, that made you more powerful than God. If you could influence God, then God was not great. So, so to the Stoics, that's why everything with happiness and well-being had to do with yourself. God was there because they couldn't explain creation. But it was up to you to live your life and do the best you can. The Epicureans on the other side of that, another, another line of thought, believed that their, their idea of God was such that uh, he was there... But as Francis Schaeffer wrote years ago, he was silent. And what uh, the philosopher uh, wrote, Francis Schaeffer said, no, God is there. He is not silent. And so the world as a whole, their idea of God was distant, uh, was in between this world and the next world, didn't want to be bothered uh, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, the, the different ideas of God of the Greeks and everything, they had their own world, their own things, etc., etc., etc. Then you have Jesus Christ who comes and gives us a whole nother concept and understanding of God. That's why John, in the book of John, and that's why I chose this text, though Jesus did not say these words. It's a good springboard for me to get into what I want to get into. John was writing, the, the Gospel of John was written to the Greeks, the world. Not Jews, but to the world. And here's what he said. 
In the beginning was the word, logos. Aristotle called logos that ultimate reason, the reason for everything. In the beginning was the logos. He was in the world. He made the world. But then he says something very interesting. As many people as received him, the logos, the word, Christ, whoever came, as many as received him, to them he gave he power to become the sons of God or the children of God. Now, once he made that statement, all of a sudden, we have a, a new concept. Because as children, we necessarily have what? A father, a creator, an originator. And that's what he was saying. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. And if we are born of God, he therefore is our heavenly Father. That's what John began to write. But it was Jesus Christ in his life, in the words that we have, that actually reveal what this means, what the content is, what the substance is, of our Heavenly Father. Many people today think the same thing as the Greeks. They think that God is out there. It's interesting to read the polls and the, the st stats and everything. A lot of people believe in God. It's not for sure where He is, who He is, or what He does. But they believe in God. Uh, a lot of people believe that God exists and He is different, yes, like the Jews, but they don't know how to get to Him. And they don't know what to do. There is a real victory in Jesus Christ in that he showed us, told us, explained to us our Heavenly Father. And not only how to get to him, but how our Heavenly Father wants to get to us. And that's incredible. So this morning, I'm just going to read the words. I'm going to go through the words of Jesus Christ. And I think that in doing this, it gives us an idea of what the Christian idea of God is and how important it is and, and why we need to see and hear what Jesus Christ said. The Christian religion, our faith in God, in Jesus Christ, necessarily includes that we have to understand and embrace what Jesus taught, and, and that is that God, yes, he is holy. God, yes, he is just. But Jesus, by his own mouth, said he is your heavenly Father. So as I thought about that, I thought about how important it was that we understand our heavenly Father. And the I can't explain it any better, and I can't even approach how Jesus revealed it. So let me begin. On the Sermon on the Mount we have in Matthew, Jesus made this statement. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the beginning, that it began to unfold who God is 
to us if we believe in him or if we choose to go to God. You know, the scriptures say, if we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. And so the Lord wanted people to understand that God, yes, is the creator of all things, but in and all of that, in all of that, he is our father. We have been born into the family of God because our father willed it, wanted it to be so. Yes, we seek God, but what's more important is that God seeks us. That's what's important. In the same sermon, Jesus then began to say, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to go through some of these things, but the emphasis is that, uh, that I want to look at is what he says about our Heavenly Father. Here's what he said. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What he revealed just then is that if we do these things, like what? Well, we, we bless people, we try to do good, we pray, we seek, we help. We begin to emulate our Father, just like a small child begins to do what their father does or tries to accomplish what their father is trying to accomplish. They, they imitate them. They, they imitate what their father is doing. And so Jesus is using that very things. And he says, if you do these things in this, in this passage, he said, if you do these things, you then will be perfect also, just as your father in heaven is perfect. So all of a sudden, Jesus is revealing to us that God, the creator of the uh, world, of the uh, numina or, 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 or whatever is in existence, is so far different than what the philosophers would say or what the Jews thought. He was actually saying God desires to be your father and for you and I to be his children. That's incredible. I mean, it's incredible that he was able, when Jesus began teaching, that he would just unfold this radical idea of who God was. It's amazing. The various uh, things that people think about God, uh, even today, you know, how God is, what God... But I find that it's Jesus that gives a true comfort and a true understanding of who God is in our lives. He says, take heed that you don't do your alms or give your offerings before men to be seen. He says, if you do that, you have no reward in heaven. And it's better to let your Father in heaven know what you do. He also said, when you do your alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. Because the alms may be in secret, but your father sees the good that you do in secret and then will reward you openly. Jesus spoke of God not as some, some, some distant thing. He spoke of God as his father, my father. In fact, that was one of the more moving accounts in the life 
of Jesus Christ was in the garden. Father, he says, in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's thy will, you can not make me go to the cross, but not my will, but thine. He had such an intimate, trusting relationship with his heavenly Father, and it was Jesus who began to reveal that as he had that relationship, we too can have that relationship. As he was talking about just living life and how we do things, he says, your father, and he's speaking to people like you and I, your heavenly father knows what things you have need of before you ever ask him. We can associate with that. We know that that uh, there are times uh, perhaps in our lives when our heavenly father, I mean, when our earthly fathers or someone who acted as our father knew what we needed and, and was already waiting for that. Well, Jesus was saying, and, and, he, and he's teaching that we have a heavenly father that, that knows exactly what we need before we ever give them. The disciples heard him praying one day. Uh, he was off by himself and he was... And they were fascinated by his prayer. They could, oh, they could hear him praying. He was spending time. He, was, he had removed himself. He walked back to the disciples, and they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he did. He gave us, and it's our prayer today, the Lord's Prayer. Let me read it. He says, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. But he said, do this, pray this way. And he begins this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, Father, Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Obviously, the disciples learned it well. Because thousands of years later, it's been handed down to us and we all know that by heart. He continued to teach. And in this, he taught us that Whereas in the world that we live in, we hold things, we are angry, we, we don't forgive, we don't forget. But he gave us a real insightful understanding of our Heavenly Father. You know, sometimes we interpret God by how we feel. You know, we get angry with someone, we feel God's going to be angry. We don't want to forgive someone, and we think God's the same way, but it's just the opposite. What Jesus taught us was our Heavenly Father is willing to forgive us, therefore we should be willing to forgive. In fact, Jesus taught this. He says, if you forgive men their faults or their trespasses or their failures, if you forgive them, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive, if you don't forgive, your Father will not forgive you your trespasses. It's interesting because, again, this was such a new concept into the world of mankind. Yet Jesus revealed it time and time again, uh, how important we are 
to our Heavenly Father. We, here's the thing. We are taught and we live and we aspire to place God as an importance in our life. And we preach it from pulpits, we teach it, we instruct people. God needs to be important, and, and it, that is true. But the other side of that is, is even more so, if I tell you it's even more so, we are important to God. That is so important to wrap our minds around. In fact, Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? While it's important to elevate and aspire to make God very important in our life, let us not do it at the expense of overlooking or forgetting that God looks at us and we are very, very important to God. He continues in different parts of teaching about this. And, and he uses this idea of, and, and, I, and I like this particular passage where it says, if a son shall ask any of you, that is, that is a father, uh, if he asks you for some bread, do you give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, do you give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, do you offer him a scorpion? And he says, if you, being like you are, human, evil, you know, if you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you what you need? The Holy Spirit, the presence within your own heart. So Jesus was giving us, uh, revealing to us who God can be in our lives, who God wants to be in our lives. I think that sometimes, you know, we forget that God, as our Heavenly Father, seeks us to worship and come to Him as His children, not just asking for things, not trying to get ourselves out of difficulty, but truly understanding and truly embracing within our minds and our hearts that God views us as the most important aspect of his creation. The world is important, yes. Everything, the trees, the rivers, the mountains, that's important. The ecosystem is important, without a doubt. But he did not create, read it in Genesis, he did not create the world in his own image. He did not create the trees, the birds, in his own image. He only created one thing in his image, and that's you and I. We've been created in him. He has become and is willing to be our heavenly father. As I thought about this, I was thinking about, you know, how we how we sometimes approach God. And, and it's not that it's wrong. It's that sometimes we fall short of what Jesus actually wants us to understand, what he wanted the disciples to understand. You know, remember when he asked the question to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, and we studied this recently, some say you're John the Baptist, Jeremiah is one of the other prophets. But then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And, they, and, and as I mentioned, I, I think they kind of 
wondered a little bit what to say. And then all of a sudden, Peter made this confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he looked at Peter and he said, Blessed are you, Simon of Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. So in this, we find that a relationship with our Heavenly Father unfolds an incredible understanding of our life, our purpose, what we should, should not be doing, and how we should live. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the various teachings of the Lord. And, you know, in, in part of this, you know, there are many passages. I won't go through all of them. But uh, one that's very important, and, and again, it confirms what I'm saying at, what I said at the very beginning, Jesus unfolded this to us. Remember when Thomas, John 14, Jesus said, I'm going away. And Thomas asked the question, well, Lord, how can we know the way? And he made this statement, but then there was that part of attachment that, that applies to today. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So every aspect of the teaching of Jesus Christ about discipleship, about how we treat each other, all has to do with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. In fact, he says toward the end of his earthly ministry, he told his disciples this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says, my Father and I will come. So, not only did Jesus have an incredible relationship with God as his Father, Heavenly Father, when he took upon himself the form of our flesh, he showed us how we can have that relationship with God. Not as just creator, not as just the just God, not as just that, that greatness, the one being, but how to have that relationship with God who wants to become our heavenly father. And we become his children. So I was thinking about it and I was bringing to a close, which I'm going to do right now, bring to a close. Of all the teachings that Jesus Christ taught, there is one that illustrates it. And so often when we read this parable, we, we read all the various ways and things about it. And it's called the parable of the prodigal son. But actually, when you look at it, the prodigal son is not the hero. It's the father. Let me read it to you as we come to a close. And because I think that when he gave this parable, understand when a parable is given, it is, it is a heavenly truth that is captured in an earthly form, earthly story. And so here's the story. The scriptures say, a certain man had two sons. 
The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he gave him his livelihood. How so that is with us. God does not interfere with the desires and the choices that we make in our lives. The father gave him his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. As Jesus told this story, we've got to understand he was not elevating the prodigal son. When the prodigal son or the son had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. That always struck me. He just didn't want to go back to his father yet. So he settled for what? A citizen of the country. How often we find ourselves in pig pens when we settle for the less. He went to join himself to a citizen of that country, and that citizen sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have filled his stomach with the same food that the swine ate, because no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's the first thing he had decided. He's got to confess. He's got to, I'm going to go and I say, I have sinned before you and heaven. The next thing he was going to say to his father was, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the son, he arose and came to his father. But when he was still When he was I'm glad you got your Bibles. When he was still a great way off. His father. His father saw him. had compassion and the father ran and fell on his son's neck and kissed him and the son said father I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. At that point, he never got a chance to say the next thing because the father interrupted him. And he said, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's eat and be merry. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. That captures what God wants to be to us. That captures it completely. 
God waits for us to come to him. God wants to restore all of us. God wants us to be in his family. He wants us to be his children. He wants to be our heavenly father. And every time if we stop long enough from our busy lives and we think about that, it should move us, as you've just seen, to tears. Because it's an incredible, incredible revelation that Jesus Christ told us about God. So back to the text. As many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God who believe on his name. John, at the end of his life, wrote this scripture. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were willing to bring us into your arms. We're thankful today, Lord, for our Lord, your Son, who came and revealed you to us so that we wouldn't have to live life feeling that we are on our own or we don't belong or we don't understand life. We're thankful that you are willing to be our Father, willing to provide, willing to guide, willing to forgive, willing to sustain us in all seasons of our life. It is, as John wrote, it's amazing the love that you have bestowed on each one of us, that we can even be called your children. But we are thankful for that. I pray today, Lord, that we give thanks to you for that. And in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we know that that's the only way we've been able to come to you. I'm thankful that our Lord still is in your presence, making intercession for each one of us, helping us in our time of need. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would understand how you want to become our Heavenly Father and you desire for us to become your children in this world. And we'll give you thanks in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close. Appreciate your attention as I go through this. But again, no matter what's been said or not been said about God, Trust what the Lord has said. Trust what Jesus said. He's the one who has revealed to us who God can be in our own lives as we sing. In five, uh, 566. Oh.